Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny. Seasoned business journalist and author Bruce Whitfield brings us the upside to the country's confusion and chaos in a book that is going to leave you optimistic and thinking, oh my word, it is absolutely, it is not so bad. It isn't so bad for us. Saturdays with Jenny. The back of his book notes that Bruce Whitfield has won more awards for financial journalism than any other working South African professional. Goodness. As a public speaker who thrives on challenging audiences to think differently about the risks and challenges posed by the complex South African environment. So when I saw the title of this book, I grabbed the author. So welcome to Kai FM, Bruce Whitfield. Hello. I have to say, it was the title of the book immediately that got me thinking, what has he done now? So it's the upside of down because it is one of the few books that is non-fiction that actually cheers you up, but it also, it's not Pollyanna on any level at all. You know, Jenny, I sat looking at my own bookcase and I looked at the remarkable books that have been written about South Africa over the last decade and all of them, uh, without fail, not all of them, 99% of them, um, have been really gloomy mm. and reflecting the brutal reality of South Africa, the reality of crime and corruption, of murder, of pain and suffering and anguish, all of these things that are so real in South Africa. But I thought to myself, hold on a second, there is another side to our country. And our country is nothing short of remarkable in considering where we have come from and the the hugely difficult and violent and divisive history that we've got, that we are actually okay as a country from an economic perspective and too often we look only at the downsides, we look only at the negatives and we don't balance it out with the huge innovation, the huge levels of guts and determination that South Africans have got in them to make things happen. You've just got to look at South Africa's informal economy, for example, to understand but just because you can't get a job in a corporate or just because you don't go to office in a fancy BMW uh, and work nine to five and have hot and cold running personal assistance, it doesn't mean that you're not hustling and making a contribution to the economy. And the, those are some of the stories I, I sought to, to talk about in the upside of down because we can so easily get stuck in the down. But frankly, it's too easy and it's actually quite lazy. Sometimes we have to challenge ourselves a bit to take our blinkers off and look at a much, much bigger and more complicated picture. Well, I mean, it is very, very complex, but I have to say that I was buoyed um, through, throughout the book um, by, by the positivity that actually came through and some of the innovations. I've actually, I will send you a photograph um, of my book, my, you know, the Bruce Whitfield, The Upside of Down. And I've marked just about every single page because I want to follow up on some of them. Um, you, you, you talk about some of the, the innovation that, that exists amongst us now and has existed in the past and have given rise to, to huge companies, innovative companies and companies that are, p- are punching their way into the rest of the world with ease. I'm thinking of the Stellenbosch company. Um, that is supplying all sorts of information to NASA and has been doing so for a considerable amount of time. Has anyone heard about that company? Not I. 
Yeah, but that's the point. I mean, these guys are a group of Afrikaans. They were youngsters, of course, 1990. They were doing their PhDs in mathematics at Stellenbosch, because that's where um, young Afrikaans boys went at that time. Um, and they went to go and study their mathematical degrees. And they came out and um, were, would have gone to work for Donnell or somebody like that within the public sector, and they would have been very well-qualified and capable people. But they started a business instead called Alpha Wave because they came out of university at the time that there was the amalgamation of all the liberation movements with the South African Defense Force, and there wasn't space for their, their qualifications anymore. And nowadays, Alpha Wave employs about 200 people. Um, they've got 120 specialized engineers and scientists in Stellenbosch. And what they are now is world leaders in radio wave technologies. So they work for companies like um, Vodacom and MTN and Celsi and others, the cell phone companies. That's quite logical. But they've also got clients like Boeing and Bosch and Daimler. And they've also got the Meerkat Space Telescope. Now, the square kilometer array, of mm. course, we've got half of it in South Africa. Africa, the Australians have got the other half, is the biggest radio telescope in the world. Um, and these guys have created mathematical algorithms. Don't ask me to explain it, Jenny. I don't want to. I don't want to patronize you. Um, but they've got their mathematical algorithms that enable them to see deeper into the Milky Way than has ever been done before. And they're doing this with math degrees from Stellenbosch. Um, with massively uh, complicated brains, um, and they've done incredible things. And um, they've also got a bunch of subsidiaries as little offshoots. And one of their businesses called Alpha Wave in January this year announced a $30 million investment from a U.S. software firm. And that $30 million investment is allowing them to take another part of their business and to, and a, a perfect for this time where everybody's in lockdown, to have mobile sales forces never have to come back to the office ever again and do all of their work out in the field and this is all based on maths and science and uh, some kids who otherwise would have gone into weapons technology had to make a plan and they made a plan and as a result they are all doing incredibly well and are globally relevant still today out of South Africa. You see, I think that's fantastic. And those are the stories that, I mean, as I, as I read, I'm just looking at the chapter headings, for instance. Um, you start off basically with how well do you know your country? Because that, that, that's where you actually are saying, now listen, it is not all bad because the questions that you ask about how well do you know your country? It's, it's, you know, you give, you know, is it A? Is it B? Is it C? Is it 80%, 70%, 61%? What percentage of children aged 7 to 15? are enrolled in school 99% 96% 88% so so i would have put it at 88% but it's not. It's 99%. Yeah, and we can then argue about the quality of education and, you know, we can talk about how the government has handled the lockdowns and how kids have been left out in the cold and um, will they catch up this academic year and we can have a typically South African discussion about it. We can talk about the quality of matric. We can talk about the fact that only half of kids who enroll in grade one actually make it to matric and only a tiny fraction of them um, you know, get any decent level of matric that allows them to get to university and just the tiniest of tiny portion get any sort of STEM subject, uh, you know, the, the science, the technology, the math stuff that this economy so desperately needs. And so, yes, education quality is one thing. But uh, again, the questions are designed 
to test our biases, to test our prejudices. And this was inspired by one of my favorite books of the last five years called Factfulness by a man called Hans Rosling, the late Hans Rosling. And he did his work in the DRC during one of the Ebola outbreaks. And he was really challenging the way in which we accept the status quo. We suddenly go, well, it's always been done like this, so therefore the answer must be, if, it, if A and B equals C, well, it must obviously be C. And we don't ever challenge the outcomes. And he challenged outcomes, and he challenged audiences later, and he asked very, very simple questions. What he would do is he would flash pictures, for example, of informal settlements up on screens in his audience, in his auditorium. And he'd ask simple questions like saying, over the past 20 years, has uh, global poverty got worse or has it got better? And in his audiences, invariably, 80% of people would say, oh, it's clearly got worse because we've just seen a picture of, of somebody living in an informal dwelling um, in, in, in an area that, you know, that has got no services. And you know, obviously the world is getting worse and worse because we kind of, I think, anecdotally believe the world is getting worse and worse because the news flow is so negative. And actually, the world is a considerably better place today than it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. I would argue even through COVID-19, sure, this is a terrible challenge and people are dying and people are losing jobs and it's horrible. But I will argue that once we come through this, we can start to rebuild once again. And that trend will continue because of smart people bringing smart solutions to a world that's increasingly smart about dealing with problems. And the world needs more problem solvers, Jenny. They're not people who cause problems. <laughs> and what this, I hope this book does is shows that South Africa is full of problem solvers, people who look at it and say, you know what, that problem in education, or that problem in healthcare, and healthcare is going to be the big issue for the future. The problem with poverty in South Africa and the fact that we are so desperately and and all of the issues that that throws up. It's the ideal breeding ground for problem solvers, not for politicians and rabble-rousers and people to shout and scream and, and make demands, but people to come and say, you know what, I can create 10,000 jobs. I mean, you look at somebody like Aisha Pandor, for example, and I talk about her in the book, yes. somebody like Stacey Brewer, who started Spark Schools. These are two women in their mid-30s, I hope I'm right, um, who are changing the world in very, very significant ways. And Aisha Pandel started Sweet South with her husband, Alan Rubich, and they have got 20,000 women on their books, people who want to do domestic work on their own terms, people who sign up to an app and agree, well, I'll do two hours on Wednesday afternoon in this particular place, and then on my way home, uh, a family may need some childcare from 5.30 to 7.30, and they're prepared to pay for an Uber to get me home, so excellent, I'll accept that gig, and Thursday morning I've got a doctor's appointment, so I'll only work from 11 till 4, and they democratize domestic work in an amazing way, and Stacey Brewer has signed up kids to do private education at roughly the same price that government spends per child in a private school, in an environment where kids are getting considerably better results because the teaching methods are committed and dedicated and using technology in an intelligent way. And yes, these are small-scale startup enterprises, but these are businesses that are started up in South Africa and what we like to refer to as the lost decade, the Zuma years, where nothing positive happened. Rubbish, 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 rubbish. There's a huge amount of really good work going on all the time, and I just wanted the upside is down to shine a light on some of these great problem solvers. 
Well, when we come back after a short break, I'm going to tell you what is on the bedroom wall near the light switch, I believe it is, in Bruce's uh, two boys' uh, bedroom. And uh, that actually, I think, epitomises what is contained in this book. Coming back just after this. Saturdays with Jenny. Right, welcome back. We're chatting to Bruce Whitfield and the title of his book is The Upside of Down, How Chaos and Uncertainty Breed Opportunity in South Africa. And that is is no mean achievement. Now, I was speaking about what is beneath the light uh, the light switch in uh, in the boy's bedroom, Bruce's boy's bedroom. Dear optimists, pessimists and realists, while you were arguing about the level of the water in the glass, I drank it. Regards, the opportunist. So, basically, what you are saying as well is, in all the interviews that you had with some of the billionaires that you that you interviewed, and you interviewed quite a few, they were all they weren't phased by downturns, although they lived through downturns. They were just looking for an opportunity to make an upturn. They are phased by downturns. I mean, these are human beings who, believe it or not, billionaires have blood coursing through their veins, just like you and me. Um, but And there are people who are able to navigate problems better than you and I. And I did love that quote. Actually, the quote, um, just to be absolutely accurate, sits underneath the light switch in the, my kids' music room at school because my children are their mother's children oh. and are very, very talented and they do music, unlike their father who can't tell her, I don't know, I can't even know, the, don't even know the terminology. But I was uh, dropping one of the kids up one day and I just saw this sign and I took a picture of it and I said to the music teacher, do you mind if I use it? And she said, well, it's been there well, since before I was here, so help yourself. <laughs> and we all know these people, Jenny. And they say, you know, I'm really an optimist, but... We'll say, you know, I'm not really a pessimist, but... Well, they say, no, I'm not an optimist or a pessimist. I'm just a realist, but you know. And then you get some sad horror story about something they saw on Facebook. And again, you know, social media brings up the worst in us. And one thing I have learned by speaking to countless billionaires is that they're just better at navigating crisis than, than the rest of us are. Somebody like Brian Joffe, who um, runs a business today which owns, amongst other things, Sorbet and Sportsman's Warehouse, but he started Bidvest in 1987. Probably you'll remember 1987, Jenny, as a time of severe economic and political and social dislocation in South Africa. South Africa defaulted on its debt. We couldn't pay our bills. The currency went to hell. Um, we uh, saw companies fail all over the place and Brian Joffe young chartered accountant at that time saw an opportunity and bought his first business called Chipkins and you'll see Chipkins trucks uh, going about their business on a daily basis around Joburg um, and Brian Joffe starts this business and, and there's a sign that hangs up in every single Bidvest facility in the country and it's a very simple sign that simply says Bidvest does not participate in any recession and you think to yourself well we're in a recession right now and <laughs> frankly I I'm participating in that recession. I'm not choosing to participate in that recession, but that recession is all around me. How do I not participate in a recession? And it comes down to something called mindset. I mean, how do you navigate tough times? The difference between people who thrive and succeed in difficult times the people who take the environment as the opportunity. They don't roll up in a ball and suck their thumb and wait for somebody to wave a flag and saying, okay, fine, it's all safe to come out now. They simply say, right, everyone's panicking. Everyone in our sector or everyone in our industry or everyone in our city, our market, our suburb, whatever it might be, is struggling at the moment. How do I 
solve a problem for them? Or how do I grow my business so that when we do come out of this environment, um, we come out better than anybody else does? And I'm talking to a lot of CEOs of companies right now who are itching for opportunity. I mean, the property sector, for example, is going to look very different a year or two from now compared to what it has been. Mm. Shopping centers are going to go bust. We're mm. going to see huge vacancies in shopping centers, for example. And you're going to see people buying up shops and shopping centers at cheap, cheap prices because suddenly there's going to be an opportunity in that sector. We're going to see opportunities for more private health care, more collaboration with government. We've seen so much collaboration going on at the moment. NHI, which is going to come, is going to look very, very different five years from now than perhaps it would have had COVID-19 not happened. If anything, it may very well accelerate it to the good in collaboration with, with, with the private sector in a way that perhaps we couldn't have envisaged in the really difficult relationship between government and the private sector before this. They're working together better than we've ever seen, and sometimes a crisis brings out the best in us, sometimes. Bruce, we're almost at the uh, at the end of the time allocated to us here on Kai FM, but I just want to, to to point out finally that we have very real problems. Your book does talk up and and highlight some of the astounding success stories and that are giving rise to other successes as well, which is what makes my heart sort of beat a little bit faster. But we have a minuscule tax base. Um, you talk about the mindless pursuit of growth. One word, education, is enough to send chills through every single ligament and bone in in one's body. We've got very real problems as well as the virus. No, we do. Absolutely. I mean, that's, and, and the book doesn't uh, doesn't pull any punches on that particular front as well. I say, you know, South Africa, we say South Africa is unequal. And I go, well, you know, that's fine, but that's an excuse. Um, if you say South Africa is unfair, which is where I come from, you say, hold on a second. If something is unequal, well, that's kind of hard to fix. But if something is unfair, then that opens up the door to saying, hold on a second. If it's unfair, then we need to make it more fair. We have to give more opportunity. And frankly, if we don't get education sorted, the outlook for South Africa gets grimmer and grimmer and grimmer. I mean, I even managed to and called Rafi Erasmus, um, the coach of the World Cup winning Springbok team that uh, went to Japan last year. Um, and he was asked about the pressure on the rugby field. And I quote Rafi as saying, in South Africa, pressure is not having a job. Because that is our real crisis. Is in a world where people are going to be more favored towards technology, where technology is going to do more and more of the work that we do. I mean, one of the things that I do is swear public speaking and I, and I you know, tell the stories of success and optimism and hope in South Africa and you go to conference venues where there could be a hundred people there could be a thousand people in an audience and that supports an industry of you know, 30 or 40 people of technicians and sound engineers and lighting operators and all of those people have had no work for the last three months and they're going to have no work for at least the next six to eight to maybe a year um, and that's because we're all doing everything on Zoom and on Skype and on various platforms right now. The world is changing and technology is changing it even more quickly. And somehow, Jenny, we have to find a way to get young people empowered through education to start their own enterprises, to start their own businesses. But as Pi and the founder of Nathan's Advisory says, you know, telling young people today to start their own business is a cruel hoax. Um, and it, it, it is a cruel hoax because, frankly, until we get education sorted, we don't have a hope in health. 
Um, and that's why education has got to be priority number one with every other priority that we have. Because if COVID-19 has done one thing, it has shown us just how many problems we do have. But in those problems, Jen, in those problems lie huge, huge opportunities for smart, capable people to find solutions to those problems. And, you know, you can sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's nice theory, but, 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 but. Um, don't be don't be that guy. Read the book. Buy well, firstly buy the book. Then read the book. Um, and buy some for your closest friends. Because um, if you look at the sorts of things that ordinary South Africans have achieved with a great deal of chutzpah, a great deal of commitment, and often not very much capital when they started off, um, I hope that you will be inspired to become your own problem solver through reading this book. Bruce Whitfield, thank you very much indeed. And let me give you the details of this must-read book. And you will be up, you will feel good when you've finished reading it and determined. I think those are the two feelings you're going to have. So it's called The Upside of Down, How Chaos and Uncertainty Breed Opportunity in South Africa, published by Macmillan, and it's available everywhere. Saturdays with Jenny, 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM. 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.